0: Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you, Drew. Good morning. Two things before I get started on the third part of the allegiance to Christ in an age of rivals. Number one, yesterday when I was speaking, I uh, made a statement that cursing is often connected to anger. People get angry and they curse. And I made a statement uh, beyond that that said, when someone is cursing all the time, it's obvious that they've got an anger problem, some form of dysfunction, and we'd look, we should look at them as someone that's broken. And of course, I knew in my head what I meant by that. I use the word brokenness a lot in reference to all of us. We're all broken to some degree. and uh, But how that got heard was that here's a broken person. They're a second-class citizen. We need to look down on them. Uh, at least some people heard it that way. And that's certainly not the way I meant it. What I meant was uh, you should look at them and say, Instead of judging them and condemning them, you should look at them with compassion. Something's clearly not right. Something's, going on, something's just not right in their life. And uh, so that's how I want to, to clarify that, okay? Second thing is you can't imagine. I'm talking to you about your language, about fashion today, and we're on the brink of World War III. You know, Ukrainians are starving. Their, their, their children are being born in subways. And so I get the, incons- I get it. And it really I really struggle with that. Uh, so what I want us to do is just pause right here and put first things first. Uh, early this morning, I was listening to the news and one of the, one of the members of parliament in Ukraine, a, a lady, made this statement, she was giving everybody an update, but she said, here's what she said, and I I know a lot of Ukrainians and they're, 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 I'm sure we have some here this morning. Uh, They're a deeply religious country, uh, very fervent in their faith for the Lord, but here's what she said. She said, uh, everybody tells us we're behind you and we're praying for you. She said, well, your prayers aren't working. We need your help. And what she meant was military, money, Your prayers aren't working, we need help. In the moment she said that, the Holy Spirit impressed on me the story out of 2 Kings chapter 18. When Hezekiah in Jerusalem was surrounded by Sennacherib's Assyrian force. They were totally overwhelmed, cut off. They were going to starve him out. And Hezekiah laid that letter, remember, out before the Lord, and he humbled himself and that strange language in the bible they woke up the next morning and 185,000 were dead i said lord could you do another miracle like that the ukrainian army they're fighting with 22s and shotguns and double barrels and they have some sophisticated weapons not a lot and they're facing one of the most powerful militaries in the world and they're surrounding them they're going to cut them off <clears throat> i have friends in villages <clears throat> where the flour for bread's almost gone They're going to be starving soon. And at this point it doesn't appear there's any mercy whatsoever. Would you stand with me and very reverently ask God to once again do a miracle. Surely, surely the faith right here in this room, surely the prayers will be heard in heaven. Father, We put everything on hold in this chapel service right now because there's something in many ways more important. Our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine right now are surrounded by hostile forces from a a dictator who's clearly godless. He fears neither God nor man. They're being cut off from a food supply. Babies are being born in subways. Little ones that need special care. Older people who cannot tolerate these conditions. Hundreds, thousands have already died. And I know what the world thinks. The world thinks the answer is military power. But yet over and over again in Your Word, we see where the God of heaven steps in and reverses things immediately. O God of heaven, would you step in and relieve our Ukrainian brothers and sisters and show to the world the miraculous might of our Heavenly Father to answer the prayer of those that are praying and crying out to you in Ukraine. We ask it in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. Moving on to our third part on allegiance to Christ in an age of rivals. Jesus said to his disciples and to all of us, you are not of this world. That only makes sense when you put it not in a physical setting but in a value system setting. What are the values of this present world versus the values of those who live in the kingdom of God? The Sermon on the Mount, that alternative society, makes it very, very clear that we are different. There is something unique and different about a Christian who lives in the kingdom of God versus someone who is a non-Christian living in this present world. That's not my opinion. That's not my philosophical outlook. That's what the word of God says. That's what Jesus said. And so... How do we express that difference? What we've talked about, we laid the foundation. The first session yesterday, we talked about our language. Today, we were talking about what our wear. And here again, let me say these are not the most important values in the kingdom. The only reason I'm, well, there's a couple of reasons I'm talking about, but one of them is hardly anyone else will talk about it. And it's something that literally affects you every day you live. Everybody in this room, as best I can tell, got up and put on clothes this morning. Uh, I think. And so it, it affects us every day of our lives. Now, you and I are in the kingdom of God. That kingdom is radically countercultural. And so, what does the Bible say about this? So, let's run through a, a list of scriptures very, very quickly. You ready? First, God created man in his own image, male. And female he created them and the man and this is before the fall and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed after the fall then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin cloths that's what the Hebrew word seems to indicate just a little something to hide the lower part of the body and the Lord God stepped into this situation and here's what he did and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. I'll tell you a little more about that later. Paul said this, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? God doesn't live in houses made with hands. Guess where he lives now? He lives in us. The Holy Spirit, and you, and whom you have from God, the Holy Spirit. You're not your own, for you're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Did you hear what he said? Glorify God in your body. Where did you do your sinning? As a sinner, where do you sin? In the body. We use all of our instruments fully for sinning, but when we become a Christian, all of those instruments are used for God Paul says do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world don't let the world shape you Paul said to Timothy I desire in every place you got you got to listen to this one the comparison I desire that in every place that men should pray men pray Lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. I am amazed at why he compared those two. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then Peter brings it up. He said, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, very precious. Now, what you wear makes a strong statement about us. And nobody here can deny that. Nobody in the world denies it. No secular, go ask Ralph Lauren, go ask anybody. Nobody denies that, nor should we. Clothes communicate. They speak a language of their own. But listen to this. They touch the latent, fallen, distorted pride. Many theologians think the original sin was either unbelief or pride. C.S. Lewis was, fell into the camp of pride. He thinks that's the original sin. Pride made the devil the devil. Clothes have a way of touching that in a way that nothing else does. They allow us to express our independence and rebellion in ways that nothing else ever does. Clothes captivate us. I'm sorry I got to be a slide behind. Clothes captivate us in a way like nothing else does. The core issue that's triggered a lot of debates is the core value of modesty when we talk about clothes. Now, let's get it right out on the table. Let's get the elephant out of the room or in the room. Deal with him. The women in this room think I'm talking only to them. The guys are just onlookers. Well, that's not true. You're a part of this too. I'm a part of this. Now, however, due to the unique beauty of women, and I'm not just saying those words, God made the female unbelievably beautiful. Don't you think so, guys? Yeah, yeah. let's hear it, yeah. He did. They are. You see a beautiful guy, you know what you call him? A stranger from another world. We just don't tend to be, you know, there's some handsome guys, but nobody stands around looking at guys. Not not in, yeah, in a beauty sense maybe. Girls, you're sniggering. But the point I'm making is, It's not just about the girls, though. About 75% of the weight lies on you because of your unique, distinct beauty. And so debate gets triggered around the idea of modesty. You know what? I think that's a good thing. And the reason we know that it's a good thing is that we have a very negative reaction to immodesty. Wherever you see it, Immodest behavior, and the word immodest doesn't just go with clothes. It goes with behavior, your spirit. We have this negative reaction. Nobody likes an arrogant person. You distinctively dislike somebody that's arrogant. You know, you go out on your skateboard, you do a great big jump, somebody comes behind you and ups you one. And he tells you about it. Don't you just love that kind of person? No. No. The guy who's always squeezing people and putting them down, boasting, proud. The person who wants to capture all the attention for themselves. I like college football. Not too much into professional, but I like college football. And nobody likes a taunter. Nobody likes to see a guy do a massive hit on somebody else and stand over there and dance around him. Nobody likes that. There's just something negative about immodest behavior. And we have this same negative reaction when we're around a man or a woman who fails to wear adequate or appropriate or modest clothing. I can assure you that if the woman I saw on Dunkin' Donuts walked in here this morning and stood right up front, uh, Shed on a pair of gray uh, yoga pants. It was it really they were spray paint on. Right? They were just sprayed on. If, if, if she walked up and stood here, the ladies in this room would say, "Ugh, shame." Go dress yourself. Well, the guys they couldn't they couldn't find their voice. Uh, they'd be oogling and ogling and glaring and looking. If a guy walked in here with a pair of those, everybody would say, yuck. <laughs> now there's a subtle point behind that. Fashion designers exploit women in an amazing way. And we need to wake up to that. Whose idea was it to wear clothes anyway? Where'd this whole idea come Who was the first seamstress? Well, the original designer was God. Adam and Eve tried, they made a loincloth, didn't work. And so God made them out of skin garments and he clothed them. It's very interesting the Hebrew words for clothed and garments. It's the same word used in Leviticus, eight, seven, and 13 and Numbers 20. When it's talking about clo- making garments to clothe the priest, it carries the idea of a tunic or a a coat of some sort. basically, whatever, excuse me, whatever it was, we don't fully know, obviously what it was, but what we do know is it was some kind of clo- uh, clothing that covered the torso, that covered this part of the body. That, that we get. We understand. Now, the divine tailor could have made anything. He could have. God's extremely creative but he made a covering that covered basically the torso, not just the private parts, but the torso. Now, clothes communicate. While it's true that God's word and this present world have a lot of conflicting points on fashion, there's one thing they totally agree on. Clothes communicate. Every one of those pictures make a statement. You can elicit any effect you want by what you put on. I call it the look. You can create a sexy look. And I'm glad I had to cut that picture off at the bottom there, but you can create a sexy look. You can create that collegiate look. You can create that sort of pure, puritanical, Quakerish look. You can create the successful guy look. You can create the godly woman look. You can create the sinister look. You can create all kinds of looks by what you wear. But the Bible tells us that what we put on conveys a message. Now. A person can convey the language of their soul. I want you to really listen to this. A person can convey the language of their soul through what they wear. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is in God's sight. Very, very precious. And I believe the key to that is modesty, used in the right way. Now... This is an amazing quote. Modesty by itself proclaims the mystery that the body is united to a soul. Listen to me, when I look at you, I shouldn't just be looking at body parts. I should be looking at someone who has a soul. And it proclaims the mystery that the body is united to a soul. It says that we do not belong to ourselves that there's something in us that goes beyond our bodies. My slides. This is this is not the second edition I sent. I miss. We're we're missing a, a very very important picture here, but that's okay. We can't change midstream. I'll try to I'll try to use words to paint the picture. Uh, how many have kept up with this young woman named Night Bird? Anybody kept up with that story? Do you remember the story of the she's a Liberty grad, Liberty University, grew up, went in a Christian school there in Roanoke, went to Liberty, graduated with a degree in communications, sang beautifully, uh, maybe even did some albums, got married, found out she had cancer. Her husband left her immediately when she found out she had cancer. Not only did she whip that cancer, then she had cancer a second time, then she had cancer a third time. And when she was 30 years old, she sang on America's Got Talent. Anybody remember it now? She told the story of her cancer. And I had her picture and her quote because that picture said everything I wanted to say in this chapel. It said everything I wanted to say. Is there any way to shift gears and get that, that up there? Probably not at this point. That's okay, that's probably not. That picture said it all. I've never met hardly, no, I, I, let me take that back. That's too broad. I've met a lot of people, I, but just as I went through her picture last night, do you get it on a, did you pull it up? Oh yeah. Oh, he, she's got her picture up. unfortunately we can't all see it. But I'll say one thing about her. Her picture, (laughs) thanks, that's a good try. Uh, When you look at her, she's a little emaciated because of the chemo, because of the cancer, all of her problems. But I'll tell you what you'll see. The first thing you notice when you look at her, what's the first thing you notice when you look at her? The shining face. Her face absolutely glows. Her, her spirit, her soul comes through her countenance. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that's exactly why the Great Commission's given one time by Jesus in the Gospels. This idea of how we adorn ourselves and letting humility and our spirit of modesty come through is given twice, once by Peter, once by Paul. Now, I'm not trying to stack up numbers. What I'm trying to say is, When people look at us as Christians, you know what the first thing they ought to see? The first thing they should see is not my appendages, not my body, not sexism, not vulgarity, not anything. The first thing they ought to see is my face. And coming through my countenance should be radiating this beautiful spirit. That's why her picture was so important. She died literally months after these photos were taken. Our modesty by itself proclaims a mystery that the body is united to a soul, and the world needs a glimpse of our soul. We talk about modesty, what do we mean? Well, first of all, modesty protects the intimate center of the person. It means refusing to unveil what should remain hidden. When the world says, wear this and expose those parts Paul calls it tells the Corinthians these are the private parts that should be given more honor by being covered the world wants to expose that flaunt that out trot that out you're showing things exposing things and sharing things that should not be exposed shared or given away except in the context of marriage modesty is decency It inspires one's choice of clothing. It keeps silent or reserved where there's evident risk of unhealthy curiosity. Modesty is discreet. Modesty protects the voyeuristic explorations of the human body in advertising or solicitations of certain media that go way too far in exhibiting the private part of our life that is a God-given treasure to share only with someone else. Modesty inspires a way of life which makes it possible to resist the allurements of fashion and the pressure of prevailing ideologies. Modesty is a powerful virtue. Now, modesty takes different forms in different cultures. Modesty is defined by geography in many ways. Everywhere, however, modesty exists as an intuition of spiritual dignity proper to man what I'm trying to say here is simply this modesty is not first an issue of what I wear it's an issue of my heart it's a heart issue that needs to be settled some of you may know Megan Harshberger. Dan I think would know her I was just at their church in the west and I knew I was coming down here and I knew that I was going to be talking about this. And I said, Megan, can you imagine how difficult this is for a 65-year-old guy to get up and talk to a group of college students about modesty? Can you imagine that? Anybody would either have either that either I'm ignorant or unbelievably brave, one or the other, I'm somewhere maybe in the middle. But I need I need some help. She's a 30-year-old worship leader. Mother of two kids. Extremely articulate. And I said, talk to me about modesty, Megan. And there are two quotes in my notes that I'm going to share with you. The first thing she said, she said, modesty begins and ends with a surrendered heart to God. If you try to talk to modesty, about modesty to unsurrendered hearts, you're going to get pushback. You're going to get, you're going to get anger. You're going to get... It begins and ends with a surrendered heart. And then she went on to say, until you surrender your fashion choices to the Lord, you will be stubborn and independent in how you dress. I think she's right. Now, remember the verse that I mentioned to you ago? I also found it interesting. Anybody know, anybody know who the lady is? Uh, who is this lady? Yeah, you're muttering. I can't t- Talk to me. Kate Middleton, or Kate, whatever, Windsor, whatever her name is. But she's, I noticed in doing a little research, do you know what she's called the queen of? She's called the queen of modesty and appropriateness. I found that that remarkable. But I'm going back to that passage that I, I brought up earlier in Timothy. I desire, Paul said, that in every place that men should pray, Guys, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel apparel, with modesty and self-control, so forth and so on. Why? Why would the great Apostle Paul tie those two things together? It actually blows my mind. Why would he tie men lifting up holy hands in prayer with women dressing modestly? Here's my conclusion. I think it's a good one. Here it is. When a man moves toward independence from God, it surfaces in his anger and his prayerlessness. Prayerlessness is the declaration of independence from God. And a man is apt, prompt, sort of by natural, some natural tendencies to go that way. When a man moves toward independence from God, it will surface in his prayerlessness and anger. But when a woman moves, toward independence from God, it will often surface in her attire, her exposure, her nakedness, her flaunting. When she is moving away from independence from God, it tends to surface there. When guys move away from God in independence, it tends to surface in prayerlessness. Now we're talking in a Christian context here, not the world. Now, you can certainly disagree with me. Okay, that's no problem. You can disagree with me because modesty can't be reduced to just rules and commands. Nobody is going to tell me how to dress. Well, you're right. I'm not. Because reducing modesty to rules always fails. There's a, there's a serious breakdown and one reason is modesty when reduced to rules is usually taken to the extreme. It goes, off, it goes off the rails over here. And so you can't reduce it to rules. On the other hand, the attitude that says nobody's going to tell me how to dress takes independence and freedom to the edge of rebellion. There's something very arrogant and proud that surfaces in the spirit that nobody, nobody, going to tell me what I can wear. I believe as Christians we need to find ourselves in the happy center of those two things. You don't want to go in either direction. So. How do we put all that together? The the simple truth is that we take our fashion clues from somebody. You don't live in a vacuum. I'm not that stupid. You're not that stupid. None of us do. We all get our clues from somewhere. We have learned behavior from somewhere. And the world sets a standard. They do. They have their own standard over here. Just go look at it. But you know what, Christians also have some standards. It's funny, I've traveled in lots of different religious groups and denominations. They all have their little taboos and have standards. And one of the things I face on a regular basis, and typically in a larger church, is a pastor will often say to me, you know, I'm older, I'm the grandfather look, and he'll he'll say, you know, how do you handle this? What he's talking about, he's talking about immodesty in a worship team. I was, I was in a very large church some time back, and the, the, the person that was front and center of the whole stage, leading worship, uh, was exposing her body in a very gross way. And it, it was creating, and he said, How do I deal with this? And, and here's what sometimes young women will say to their pastor. Or say to somebody who may want to say something, you know, maybe a little more appropriate, okay? They'll say, well, the pastor's wife wears that. Or, I respect this person, look what they wear. And they point to some other person. But can I tell you something? Not everybody has the same level of ethical awareness that others do. Not everybody has the same level of Christian maturity that others do. I don't care if it's the pastor's wife. I don't care who it is. Not everybody has the same level of maturity or ethical consciousness or behavioral consciousness or actually biblical discernment. Not everybody has that same level. There are varying degrees of that. I remember a, a businessman out in Kansas City, a good godly man back when, you know, you, they're coming back now, these little uh, parking meters. And he got out of his car, this wonderful godly businessman uh, with a, with a with prominent American theologian was riding with him. And he got out of his car and he, and he went up to the meter and he took a nickel and he said, uh, hey, uh, look what I've learned to do. He put a nickel in, hit the thing on the side and turned it and, and got a quarter's worth of time. And he was bragging to this great theologian, man, look what I learned to do. And the theologian was wise enough to know this guy's not trying to steal, he's not trying to be some petty thief. He just doesn't have a very large ethical consciousness. He needs to grow up and learn some stuff about honesty. And not everybody has a well-defined, biblical, ethical conscience. So I'm not here to point fingers and you shouldn't be pointing fingers either. We should be praying and edifying one another and building them up as best we can and helping to be a blessing. So what does the Bible say about it? It doesn't it give us rules, it gives us principles. Number one, let's knock them out fast. Number one, the principle of covering. Number one principle in the Bible, clothes have a utilitarian purpose. They cover, they protect, they comfort our bodies. Number two, the principle of clothing, the principle of concealing rather than revealing. Clothes should never be worn that expose our intimate parts or unduly emphasize our private parts or the alluring parts. Did you know that naked in the Bible It's used one time in a positive light with Adam and Eve. It's used twice in the Bible in a neutral light. And every other time it's used in the Bible, it's in a negative light. You need to think about that. Number three, the principle of gender distinction. When you walk into a room, everybody in that room should know you're a woman or a man, one or the other. The Bible has some strong language about this. We all want to treat men and women equally, amen? Of course. The Bible declares our equality while at the same time declares our uniqueness. We are equal, but we are not the same. We have different body types. And that means clothing must be applied differently from a pragmatic necessity. And that's where we talk about how sometimes fashion designers exploit women in this very area. I know this is sensitive. I know this can be very touchy what I'm saying right now. Women are far more at risk for exploitation sexually than men are by the very nature of their body and the way men are, are, are stimulated sexually. Men are visual. I don't want to get into biology 101. Men are visual. Women are relationship oriented, touch oriented. And men receive gratification through the eyes. And so they're turned on sexually by exposure of a female body in any way, shape, or form. Women, on the other hand, don't always fully understand that. And if you're not careful, they can say, you, you dirty old detestable guys. You just want to look at me. Well, I, I'm not the creator. I didn't make it that way. But God did and said it was good. And he made men to desire to find beauty and attraction in a woman, visually. And ladies, you are beautiful, captivatingly so. And you should celebrate it, not resent it, but at the same time, you should never exploit it. You don't have to hide your femininity. I'm not promoting you get a, some sort of a cloth sack and jump into it, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying hide your femininity, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying don't exploit it. Number four, the principle of stressing the inward over the outward. You know what, I apologize to the sound man, I placed my slide in, in a different spot. <laughs> I got it, here she is. The principle of stressing the inward rather than the outward. This woman's only a matter of months from death. She's had it. She has absolutely been through rejection from her, the love of her life. When she got cancer, he left her. Three bouts of cancer. You ought to listen to her story. You ought to go to her blog, read about I found God on the bathroom floor. That's an amazing article. But listen to this. Listen to what she said. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. Look at the glow on her face. If anything sums up what I'm trying to say here today, when you look at her, you don't look at body parts. You don't look at her in some seductive way. When you look at her, the first thing that stands out is her countenance. And that ought to be what every one of us are stretching for. Men and women alike is that kind of countenance. Number five, the principle of moderation and simplicity rather than ostentation and showiness. We all need to learn from that. The principle to be transformed by the word rather than to be conformed to the world. And the last one principle of propriety as a matter of good culture some things will not fit at a donor dinner that are gonna fit sitting out sunning on campus you get that I don't have to belabor the point the point is what do I want to say with my clothes what do I want to communicate with my attire. Do I want to use my body to express kingdom values? Or do I want to use my body to express the values of a fallen world? It's your choice. Nobody can make you, but I believe as the Holy Spirit works on you and grooms you, he will bring you into a line with kingdom values. So what are those? Last time, ownership, I belong to God. Lordship, He's Lord over all. Citizenship, I belong to a different kingdom. What do you say? We actually live out the kingdom of God. Someone posted something the other night challenging the entire campus. How can we live out kingdom values on this campus? You know, I can't imagine that'd be hard to do. Shouldn't be, should it? Let's stand. Today is lunch and learn You want to debate You want to clobber me? You want to go after me? You want to argue with me? Bring it on Dining hall, let's but let's eat while we're doing it. Okay Father oh, I'm sorry Got to put that prayer on pause you go ahead God, we just thank you for this timely subject and your principles and your word. And we ask your blessing on all of us as we seek to glorify you and uh, bless the Averys. Thank you for them and their investment in our uh, campus and in each of us today. Thank you for your investment in making a way for us that we can follow you. And one day we get to see you. Thank you for that truth. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen.